December 2nd, 2022 time for the Friday edition of the Sports Parking Podcast. This is episode 191. How's everybody doing today? It's your man, Uncle Dub. Hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's Uncle Dub, I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Happy the weekend. I'm happy you're with me today. We got a lot of stuff we're going to talk about, a lot of college basketball, definitely some college football. It's championship weekend. But first, we'll start with, with the NFL Thursday night football, the Buffalo Bills, 24-10 over the Patriots. So for the Bills, prior to this game, they were 0-2 versus the AFC East. This is their first AFC East victory. Um, Josh Allen, 22 for 33, 223 yards and two touchdowns. Matt Jones goes 22 for 36, 195 yards and a touchdown. The Bills are now 9-3. They will get the Jets at home on next Sunday, 1 p.m. CBS. The Patriots are now 506-6. They go to Arizona to take on the Cardinals next Monday, Monday Night Football, 8-15 on ESPN. Notable games from Sunday. So check this out. Last couple weeks, the notable games weren't, well, the games of note or going through the schedule, the games weren't that fantastic. We got a handful of notable games for Sunday. The Commanders visits MetLife to take on the Giants. That's 1 p.m. on Fox. So remember that the Commanders are on like a little, little win streak here. And they're currently seventh in the playoff contention in the AFC. So with this win, if they can get a win over the Giants, and, and, and as we talked about, the Giants have been playing really good football, quietly playing good football. So the NFC East, as opposed to maybe the last two or three seasons, the NFC East is really strong this season, much better than they have been. And as a NFL purist, I appreciate the simple fact that the NFC East is better they look, you know, you expect to see a good Giants team. You expect to see a good Eagles team. I mean, we know that they've had these teams have gone through their their mighty struggles. But, you know, a Dallas team that's doing pretty good. You know, the commanders, you know, they've just been mired in mediocrity for a minute. And right now I'm, I'm cautiously um, just thinking about their chances here. I mean, Putting Taylor Heineke back a quarterback was probably the smartest thing ever. I mean, Heineke can straight ball. Let's just keep that 100. And I'm not saying that because he's a fellow ODU guy, but like I told you, I saw him in college, and I knew this guy was special, and he is showing it. He is making it worth the while for Commanders fans, and I'm so happy for the guy. So, hey, Taylor Heineke, if you haven't heard this, man, I'd like to have you on the show we talk a little bit of everything, talk about our days at ODU. I mean, I knew we were there at different times, but, you know, we got that shared experience. But, man, I'm a big fan, and I appreciate what you're doing for the Commanders. Um, Jets at Vikings, 1 p.m. CBS. Titans at Eagles, 1 p.m. on Fox. Dolphins at 49ers, 4.05 on Fox. And Chiefs at Bengals, 4.25 CBS. Your Monday night, Sunday games, Sunday night games, meh, you know, not so, not so special. But, you know, you'll be tuned in, you'll be tracking it, and we'll talk about it all next week. World Cup. So, Thursday action. Morocco 2-1 over Canada. Belgium and Croatia go to a full-time draw at zero. Germany 4-2 over Costa Rica. And Japan 2-1 over Spain. We'll talk about those last two games in a minute because those two games spelled some trouble for one of those teams. Today is the last day of group play. So currently, Ghana and Uruguay just starting. They're about three minutes in, no score. South Korea and Portugal about four minutes in, no score. Today at 2 p.m., Cameroon versus Brazil, 2 p.m. on Fox. Serbia versus Switzerland, 2 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. So let's look at Saturday. So as we said, Saturday, we start the knockout stage. The Netherlands and the United States play 10 a.m. Fox Saturday, 2 p.m. on Fox, Australia and Argentina. 
on Sunday, uh, 10 a.m. on Fox, France, and Poland, and 2 p.m. on Fox Sports 1, England versus Senegal. Now, a couple things. We talked about Mexico was eliminated. After they were eliminated, they let manager Tata Martino go. So Mexico's looking for a reboot here, um, doing some things a little differently with their soccer, you know, with their soccer program. Now, Japan beats Spain, Germany beat Costa Rica. Doesn't matter for Germany. Japan's shocking win over Spain eliminates Germany. So Germany coming in as a potential favorite to win another World Cup. I think they've won what, four or five World Cups. Um, this is their second straight group play elimination. So Germany is in kind of a bigger reboot, if you will. They're, for, for, for lack of a better term, they're... Um, their soccer federation, they're they're very concerned and they're saying in so many words, it's time to clean house. It's time to turn some things over. So we're going to see what Germany is going to be doing to kind of make some changes to uh, everything that's going on with their soccer program. All right, let's turn the page. College basketball. So let's start with the ladies. Wednesday night, number four, Ohio State over number 18, Louisville, 96 to 77. Man, Ohio State is looking so good. Um so I didn't get a chance to look. Maybe after the break, we'll kind of come back to this. But Ohio State and Indiana is going to be so good. Indiana's playing some good basketball right now. So we're in ACC uh, Big Ten challenge mode right now. But we'll kind of talk to you about when they're going to play. I think it's going to be a great matchup. Taylor Mike Sell goes for 26 for the Buckeyes. Haley Van Lith leads Louisville with 20 points and 10 rebounds. So Louisville not looking like the really tough contenders they've looked like over the last couple of years. So last couple of years, people, and I'm sure this year starting the season, oh, this is a potential Final Four team. Right now, they're not looking very Final Four-like. But again, you know, it's still early. I mean, we'll, we'll know more about this team like with other teams once we get into conference play. Because again, I think the ACC, you've got, you know, the, the big teams, you know, the Louisvilles, the Virginia Techs, the uh, the, the Notre Dames, the NC States, they're all going to beat up on each other. Then the question is, outside of those four teams, who potentially could kind of break in and make a, make their mark? Could be a Duke, um, UNC. I didn't mention UNC, but UNC, you know, they're in the mix. Um, you know, you've got other teams that, you know, the, the Virginia ladies are looking very good. I think, I don't, I don't see them finishing top four, but, I've said this before. I think there is a big win in there for them somewhere. I think they could upset some big name in the conference. So we'll see how it goes. I mean, they are on a tear right now. Now, you know, I saw a question on Twitter the other day. Is that why isn't the Virginia women getting more love nationally? I think it's the schedule. Now, if the schedule were better, let's say they were playing, you know, some some upper tier Big Ten teams. If they were playing, you know, some some strong uh, maybe mid-major teams, you know, maybe, you know, I think if they were playing, I think the best team they played thus far is Minnesota. And that was a, that was a scrappy win. I mean, Virginia started off slow. They had to kind of come back, you know, Minnesota, I think is a really good team. Um, they played, they, they, they blew Penn State's doors off a couple nights ago. And you can't really take a lot from that win. Penn State right now is not one of the better teams in the big 10. I think they're predicted to finish near the bottom um, defensively, they're not very good. So Virginia just, you know, out rebounded, get out in transition. That you know, and that's what Virginia does. You know, Coach Coach Mox basically said, bottom line, we're going to rebound and we're going to push pace, and that's what they do. Uh, Mir McLean led them, and I tell you one thing, 
Mir McLean is such an athlete. She can jump out of the gym, and I love watching her play. So shout out to Mir McLean. Last night, let's go through some more scores from the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Number five, Indiana over number six, UNC, 87-63. Mackenzie Holmes led the led the uh, led Indiana with 25. Kennedy Todd Williams led UNC with 20 points. So the big difference here, the field goal percentage is Indiana shot 53% from the field. UNC shot 35% from the field. So again, that big discrepancy in field goals will win a game for you every time. Number 20, Maryland goes to Notre Dame and beats number seven, Notre Dame, 74-72. Diamond Miller hits the game winner with 1.2 seconds remaining. Miller, 31 points, 12 rebounds, three blocks. Sonia Citron led the Irish with 24 points and 10 rebounds. Number 12, NC State over number 10, Iowa, 94-81. Sonia Rivers had 22 points and four steals. Caitlin Clark, another day at the office, 45 points and six rebounds. And when asked about her performance, Caitlin Clark basically said, listen, this really isn't about me tonight. Sure, yes, I had another big game, but we played terribly from a defensive standpoint and it's got to get better. We are not playing like a top 10 team. So there you have it. But the Big Ten has so many good teams. And now I'm wondering with the Big Ten, I have to look kind of at, you know, some of their teams and other teams that are not in the top 10 who's a team that could probably turn the corner and and make some hay and surprise a few teams. So we'll see how that's going to go a little bit later. Tonight from the women's side, we have a Big Ten, uh, sorry, Big East opener. Number 13, Creighton, currently 1-0 in the conference, goes to Fenneran Pavilion to take on the number 25 Villanova Wildcats. For Villanova, this is their Big East opener at home. So we'll kind of come back and we'll talk about those games uh, later. So as we know, Sunday is for the ladies. Number 23, Gonzaga, goes to number two, Stanford. So why did I pick this game? So it is a ranked game, but here's the thing. Um, I talked about Gonzaga, and I said with Gonzaga, they are a team that could be a little bit surprising. Like uh, we've already seen them beat uh, one ranked team already. I'm not saying they're going to beat Stanford. I think they could potentially give Stanford a game. I think Stanford wins this game. But don't be surprised if this game is close, okay? So that's a game to kind of keep your eye out for. Um, also, number three, UConn at number seven, Notre Dame. That game, 3 p.m. on ABC. It's the Jimmy V Women's Classic. Let's go over to the men's side for a moment here, and then we'll take a little bit of a break. Um, number 14, Indiana. Number 10, Indiana. Over number 18, UNC, 77-65. Trace Jackson Davis, 21 points, 10 rebounds, and four blocks. Pete Nance had a double-double for the for the Tar Heels, 15 points and 12 rebounds. Duke over Ohio State, 81-72. Kyle Filipowski, the 7-1 freshman, pretty tall guy regardless. If you're 7 feet or over, you're a pretty big guy. But he's the phenomenal freshman for the Blue Devils, 16 points for him. Zed Key led Ohio State with 21 points. Listen to this one. Notre Dame at home just blows the doors off of number 20 Michigan State. 70 to 52. Cormac Ryan led the Irish at 23. AJ Hoggard had 15 for Michigan State. This game wasn't even close. It was 42 to 24 at the half. And in the second half, both teams scored 28 points, but it doesn't matter because Notre Dame just really went at it against the Spartans. Last night as well, this is big. Arizona, number four ranked, was upset by Utah 81 to 66. Utah got on Arizona early. They defended the three-point line. 
Arizona coming into that game was the most had the most uh, was it they were the most the best scoring offense in the country. They shoot the three ball very well. Utah's defense held them to 14.3% from the three-point line. I mean, Tommy Lloyd basically said it best. We're got Arizona on our chest. We're ranked. Teams are going to give us their best. They got at us quickly. They held, and we couldn't recover. Bottom line. So Utah gets a big Pac-12 win. So they win their opener. I mean, and that was at home. So you can imagine the emotion that was just in the, in the Huntsman Center. But someone else, someone else also pointed out that this night, particularly this night in particular with this victory, um, it was it has been 10 years to the night that Utah basketball lost their head coach, then head coach Rick Majera. So he uh, died unexpectedly due to a heart attack. Um, if you remember those days, Majerus led Utah to so many uh, NCAA tournaments. I think they went to the Final Four a couple times. I mean, Majerus, just such a fantastic coach, great personality for the sport. His loss was, um, you know, just, you know, just terrible. And uh, head coach Craig Smith uh, was made aware of that after the game. And he was like, wow, you know, he just didn't know. And no one really knew, no one really thought about it. But, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, if you're very, uh, if you're if you're spiritual, if you believe in those sorts of things, you kind of think, man, you know, Coach Majerus was, you know, smiling down on us tonight and they got that big win over Arizona. So shout out to the Utes for that big win uh, tonight. Number six, Baylor takes on number 14, Gonzaga, 8 p.m. on Peacock. This is at the Sanford Pentagon in sunny Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I wonder what the temperature is going to be there tonight. <laughs> it's probably going to be a cold one. Um, on Big Ten at 9 p.m., number 16, Illinois, visits College Park to take on number 22, Maryland. Saturday, here's another one that don't think it's going to go the way you think it's going to go, but don't be surprised if it's close. Here's another West Coast Conference team. We're going the other side, St. Mary's, the Gales. So if you know, the Gales and the Bulldogs of Gonzaga have a very you know contentious rivalry in basketball. St. Mary's is usually... With Gonzaga and St. Mary's in the West Coast Conference is usually a one-two get one-two thing where it's either Gonzaga or um, St. Mary's. The Gales play really good basketball. They're going to go to they're going to go to Fort Worth to play in the Battleground 2K22 presented by Basketball University against Houston. I'm not saying they're going to win the game again. Same thing. Not saying they're going to win, but don't be surprised if it happens or if the game is close. I I have a feeling Houston is probably going to make this easy, but Again, keep your eye on this one. That game will be 930 on ESPN2. When we come back, we're going to get into some college football. So it's time for our championship weekend predictions. We'll do some news and notes from college basketball. So we have uh, some transfer portal stuff. So a couple, I said I was going to wait on transfer portal, but a couple big names hit the transfer portal. One has already hit the transfer portal. I think this is, it's been about 24, 36 hours he hit the transfer portal. He's already got a new home. Another name's hitting the transfer portal. And we're going to try to see where he might land because there, there's a chance that he could reunite with his former coach. And then we'll do some coaching stuff. And I think we have some dubs and L's today. Stay tuned.
All right, everybody, welcome back. So before we get into uh, college football, we'll do uh, Major League Baseball now, and we'll do some World Cup updates. So for Major League Baseball, we say rest in peace to Gaylord Perry, who died on Thursday at the age of 84. So Gaylord Perry was one of those uh, baseball characters. So not only was he a pretty masterful pitcher, um, he was uh, what we call the master of the spitball. So he pitched for eight different teams during his career. He was the first MLB player to win the Cy Young Award in both leagues. So he won his first Cy Young with Cleveland in 1972 and his second Cy Young with the Padres in 1978. And he won that second Cy Young after the age of 40. So he had five 21 seasons. He was a five-time All-Star and he was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1991. Over his career, his record, 314 wins, 255 losses, but he had 3,534 strikeouts. So the spitball came about and he told the story to, I believe he wrote his autobiography, had someone you know write his autobiography, co-write his autobiography. And he basically said that when he was, I believe with the Giants, he said that, you know, he was the 11th guy in, 11, in an 11-man rotation. So he said he had to derive some sort of advantage to help him uh, become a better pitcher. So in May of 1964, he threw his first spitball versus the Mets, and he threw 10 innings where he didn't give up one single run. He stopped throwing the pitch four years later when Major League Baseball ruled that pitchers cannot put their hand to their mouth. So at that point in time, he went looking for other things that he could doctor the baseball with. So petroleum, jelly, and other different things. But here's the other thing that he told in his story. He said that in many cases, he didn't necessarily doctor the ball. He made it look like, so he was giving batters the appearance that he was doctoring the baseball, but in many cases, uh, he did not. Um, he was ejected one time. So, so here's the thing. With as much as he doctored the baseball or appeared to doctor the baseball, in August of 1982, he was ejected for actually doctoring a baseball. Um, he also has another kind of infamous uh, ejection. So he was ejected for his role in the infamous Pine Tar game. So if you're old enough to remember, the Pine Tar game was absolutely insane. It was the Royals and the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. And George Brett, I believe he hit a home run. And... Essentially, this is the age of what well, pine tar, you know, they put it on the, the, the handle of the bat to help with grip. And the rule at the time was pine tar could only go up to a certain point in the bat. So when the umpires went to look at the bat, the bat mysteriously disappeared. But it didn't get very far because um, Perry and another teammate were trying to hide the bat they were stopped at the entrance to the clubhouse, so Perry was ejected for his role, but they brought the bat back out. The umpire looked at it. He basically said that there was too much pine, that the pine tar was beyond the point of the bat per rule where it was supposed to be. And if you've ever seen this YouTube video, George Brett comes out of the dugout like a man with his hair on fire. He looked absolutely insane. And he went off in the umpires. I believe he got ejected too. And I believe the Yankees and Royals played another game that next day. I think the Yankees won that day. I think the Royals won the next day. Um, so again, he's kind of, you know, in his autobiography telling all these stories of, you know, kind of how he's had this really, you know, crazy 
life in baseball. So we say rest in peace to uh, a, a Hall of Famer in Gaylord Perry. All right, so let's go over to college football. So let's do the Heisman watch first. So again, Heisman watch is going to take that long because we're looking at roughly about five individuals here. And I'm going to throw in another one, just someone who I think will probably get some votes because of his numbers. But your top five currently, Caleb Williams, your quarterback from South, uh, Southern Cal, Max Duggan, the quarterback at Texas Christian, C.J. Stroud, quarterback at, Oklahoma, at Ohio State, rather. And those are your top three. So I think kind of the way the odds are going right now those will probably be your finalists i think i think in past years i think i feel like last year they had four finalists the year before they had three so i guess it's based upon you know once they tally the votes they figure out all right who are the top three or top so many vote getters and they invite those guys to new york for the highest trophy so i think williams duggan and stroud will be your finalists um they also mentioned Bijan robinson the uh, running back from texas and Stetson Bennett, the Georgia quarterback. I'm going to throw in Drake May. Drake May. So I saw a stat, and this was maybe about a maybe a couple weeks ago, where they showed Drake May's numbers in comparison to C.J. Stroud's. And again, not throwing any dispersions on C.J. Stroud. He has had a great season. But the numbers clearly were in Drake May's favor. Drake May's numbers were much better than C.J. Stroud's. And the question was, do you think Drake May should get some Heisman consideration? I think considering the, the 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 field of players in front of him, I think Drake May will probably get some votes. I would be surprised if he's a finalist. I think the three guys I mentioned, I think, will be your finalists. But again, I think the Heisman uh, announcement will probably be this. Yeah, usually the Heisman announcement is usually around the time of the Army-Navy game. So probably this time next week, we should have some feel for who our Heisman finalists will be. And of course, when we know, we'll definitely talk about it here on the program. All right, let's get to championship weekend. And then we've got a ton of news and notes and actually does some stuff that just broke. And I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I think I remember it. I'm not going to, don't think I need to write into my notes, but I'll try to uh, do that. So let's look at championship weekend for college football. So now we're going to cover, you know, all the major championships. We're going to go into uh, some of the you know the other action because there's a lot of good football that's going to be on and we're talking tonight through late on Saturday. Well, yeah, late on Saturday, eight o'clock is going to be your your latest kickoff. So tonight, two games. First, we start with Conference USA. North Texas takes on UT San Antonio, who are eight and a half point favorites. That game from the Alamo Dome. So that game is literally going to be a home game for UT San Antonio. That game, 7.30 on CBS Sports Network. So I'm looking at these team stats. They both are high-powered offenses. They're anywhere from, I think, North Texas uh, puts up an average of 472 yards per game. San Antonio puts about 479. I'm going to give the edge to UT San Antonio. I'll take them to win the Conference USA. The Pac-12. So 8 p.m. on Fox from Allegiant Stadium in Las Vegas. Number 11, Utah, takes on number four, USC. USC are two and a half point favorites. We just talked about Caleb Williams as the Heisman front runner. So let's kind of rewind back here. Utah, the last time these teams met on October 15th, Utah won at home 43-42 over USC. USC, as I mentioned, are two and a half point favorites. I'm going to take Utah here. I think Utah, number one, they were in this game last year. They had to scrap and fight to win this thing over Oregon. Um, as I've mentioned before, Cam Rising, I think, really 
just had a, such an amazing game. And I think if you didn't really know his name, you knew that his name after this game. Um, I don't know. It's funny. I, I read an article. You, uh, ESPN, one of their, they have, you know, a computer running simulations of all the championships. And this game, they said that the computer picked Utah to beat USC. Now, let's look at that real quick. I did say USC is one of those teams that is potentially vulnerable in the top four. And I'm going to go with Utah here, as I said. I think uh, Utah, I think they're going to come in with some passion, with some emotion. I think they're going to want to get on USC early. Defensively, if they get the ball first, they want to strike first. Offensively, I think they want to come in and make a statement that they can, you know, the first time they beat USC, it wasn't a fluke and they can do it again. So I'm going to take Utah here over USC with the upset. All right, let's go to Saturday. Oh, and one more thing with that. I was thinking about this. I was trying to remember who was the last Pac-12 team to go to the CFP that was Washington 2017. And I thought about this thinking, well, if USC loses, for the most part, there goes the Pac-12's opportunity to get back to the CFP. And if you think about it, the Pac-12 is playing good football. We, we kind of get into this whole thing of, well, here's here are your best conferences. And it's always the Pac-12 is always kind of off, off, you know, in the sides. They're not really um, they're not playing good football and they are playing good football. They're not playing good enough football to get into the CFP. My thing is this. If you look at the SEC, the SEC is so loaded. The Big Ten is loaded. The ACC, I don't know what's happening to ACC now that they're going to kill divisions it's going to be interesting to see how this thing plays out. Because, again, is it going to be the Clemson show for a while? Because, again, the format for next season is it's just all-out play. And I think they've got a certain model, uh, a certain system to where um, – I forget what they call it. But it's a scheduling system to where they'll play so many teams. They'll have a cross-rival. They have a core, t- core group of teams they'll play. They'll, they'll – um, switch up teams they play every other year, whatever, whatever. But it's just every it's a it's an all in thing. And so the question is, who's going to be the team that Clemson's gonna play? Because right now Clemson's the standard bearer in the ACC until otherwise proven. Because right now, even for Clemson standards, this is an off year for them, but they're still, as we'll talk about in a minute, they're still gonna be in the ACC championship and they're gonna be going for their seventh title in eight years. So again, even having an off season Clemson is still the standard bird for the ACC. But again, from top to bottom, there's good teams in the ACC, but it's Clemson and everybody else. While in the Big Ten, there's a lot of competition for the most part, mostly on the mostly on the east side right now. So this year, I think it's a down year for the Big Ten. The SEC, good from top to bottom. Uh, the Pac-12, I think, same thing. They're playing divisions, and I think they're going to continue to play divisions. Again, UCLA and USC are leaving. But at the same time, too, You've got UCLA, USC, Utah, Oregon, Washington was good this season. So you've got a lot of good teams from top to bottom. So it kind of was sort of anybody's conference. So I don't think the Pac-12 should be discounted in any way. It's just when you compare them to what the SEC is doing, the SEC is bringing in a lot of talent. The the Pac-12 is bringing in talent, but it's like there's just this chasm of talent between the two. Both are playing good football, but they're kind of playing football at different levels. 
Let's look at Saturday. So we start noon ABC from Jerry's World into Arlington, Texas. Number 10, Kansas State versus number three, Texas Christian, who are two and a half point favorites. I'm going to take Kansas State. I'm going with the upset again here. I mean, again, TCU is another team who I think is vulnerable. K-State is playing really good football. But again, if both USC and TCU falls, that will throw, as I talked about in the last show, this will throw this top four into a major tizzy. And then what happens? There are teams who are trying to jump back in this thing, but everybody has to do their part. So if there's two losses with top four teams, then I think that shakes this thing up. But again, who's going to have the final say? The college football committee, obviously. They may say, well, you know, these are the best teams. We're going to leave it as it is. But we all know that's probably not how it's going to work. But anything can happen come Sunday. The Mid-America Conference, Toledo versus Ohio, noon ESPN from Ford Field in Detroit. Toledo are three-point favorites. I'm going to take Ohio over Toledo. That was kind of a quick glance at the stats and kind of a coin flip, but we'll take Ohio. The Sun Belt, 330 ESPN, Coastal Carolina visits Troy, who are eight-and-a-half-point favorites. Coastal's a little down this year. Grayson McCall, I believe, will play. He's been hurt. Um... I'm going to take Troy to win the Sunbelt Conference. I will be back to talk to talk about Coastal in just a moment as far as a coaching situation that may occur or is being rumored to occur. So we'll come back to Coastal Carolina in just a moment. The SWAC Southern visits Jackson State, who are, get this, 20-point favorites. That game, 4 p.m. on ESPN2. We're going with Coach Prime and Jackson State. 4 p.m. CBS, the Southeastern Conference Championship from Mercedes-Benz Stadium in Atlanta, 75 miles away from Athens. So, you know, this will be a home game for number one, Georgia, who are 17 and a half point favorites over LSU. This is a tough one. LSU has been doing well all season. I've talked about, you know, LSU had a slow start. Brian Kelly's really got them going the right direction. They looked terrible against AM last week. And, and Brian Kelly said, look, we had a good week of practice. You know, we we dealt with the fallout. We're, we, we've gotten past it. We're ready to go. It could be anyone's game here. I'm going to take Georgia. I think it'll be closer than 17 and a half. I think the SEC championship usually gives us some classics. And I think this has the potential to be a classic. I'll take Georgia close on this one. So here's the funny thing. So Georgia's looking to go back to back. I'm sorry, no. Georgia's looking to win another title. I think they yeah, they lost the title last year, but then got back and won the CFP. So if Georgia wins this game, more than likely they're going to be back in Atlanta for the Peach Bowl, which the other day I was trying to remember where the uh, CFP semifinals this year. It's the Peach Bowl and the Fiesta Bowl. I remember the Fiesta. So Georgia potentially might get another home game for the CFP semifinals back in Atlanta. So we'll see how it all goes, but I'll take Georgia close in the SEC Championship. 4 p.m., the American Athletic Championship from New Orleans, number 22 UCF, goes to visit uh, number 18 Tulane. Tulane are four-point favorites. So both teams average about 35 points a game, and they allow anywhere from 20 to 21 points a game. This will probably be a little bit of a defensive battle. I'm going to take Tulane uh, I'll take Tulane. It'll probably be about four points. 4 p.m. on Fox, the Mountain West Championship. Fresno State at Boise State. Boise State are three-point favorites, so they'll visit the, the Blue Rug at Albertson Stadium. I'll take Fresno close. Again, two teams that are similar in 
how many points they score a game. They average about 30 points a game. They allow 19 to 20 points a game. I'll take Fresno close for the Mountain West Championship. 8 p.m., Fox, the Big Ten Championship from Lucas Oil Stadium. Purdue versus number two, Michigan. Michigan are 17-point favorites. I'll take Michigan, Purdue. We've talked about this. Purdue has just been up and down all season, very unpredictable. They're playing. I think this is a situation where Purdue kind of fell into the championship. I think that the Big Ten West was Minnesota's to win. A lot of folks thought Wisconsin was the team, and Wisconsin actually you know, was going in the right direction. They fired Paul Chris. I mean, they hit a little bit of a slide. They fired Paul Chris, and they weren't doing terrible. But, you know, people make decisions for whatever reasons. But because of all of the shuffling and all the losses and wins that happened amongst teams, Purdue just happened to be the last one standing just by chance. But I think Michigan gets the best of Purdue. Although some folks are saying Purdue might actually bring it this game. So we'll see, but I'll take Michigan. Um, maybe not 17. I'll take Michigan by 10. Last game of the night, 8 p.m. ABC, the Subway ACC Championship from Bank of America Stadium in Charlotte. Number nine, Clemson, seven and a half point favorites, takes on number 23, North Carolina. As I mentioned, Clemson is going for their seventh title in eight years. And of course, this is the end of divisional play in the ACC. So we're going to pour a little liquid out for the end of divisional play, especially the end of Coastal Chaos. Yeah, I wish I could put Coastal Chaos in a t-shirt. I really wish I could. The ACC, hey, ACC, just let us all remember Coastal Chaos. Put Coastal Chaos on a t-shirt. I will buy at least five. How about that? I'll have one for every day of the week, and then on the weekends I can rest. But here we go. Um, Clemson, seven and a half point favorites. I'll take Clemson close. I don't know how. Well, here's, here's a couple things. Number one, UNC is nine and three. You look at their schedule and the fact that their defense is terrible, they should be a 12 and 0 team. So, what I think is going to happen is I think Clemson will win this game, but it'll be a close game. I think UNC will, will bring it uh, as far as, you know, they'll bring it, they'll make it interesting, but I think Clemson will have a little bit too much in the tank. And plus, you know, we're, they're going to get UNC a week after they lose to their rivals. So that I, I don't I don't think they're going to be too, too none, but none too happy about uh, that loss from last week. So they'll take it out on UNC, but I don't think it's going to be anything uh, really, really crazy. Uh, let's go ahead and update the World Cup here. So from earlier action, South Korea 2-1 over Portugal, Uruguay 2-0 rather over Ghana. Currently, in the 24th minute, Cameroon and Brazil have no score. And in the 24th minute, Switzerland has scored over Serbia. They lead one to nothing. Uh, and so that's the, as I said, that will be the end. With the end of those two games, they'll be end of uh, group play. Uh, and we'll start the uh, knockout stage tomorrow. All right. So let's move over to news and notes from college football. Um, the first bit of news, this is all transfer portal stuff. This just came off the wire. Drew Pine, the starting quarterback at Notre Dame, has entered the transfer portal. So I find that weird, but you know, we there's always reasons for transfer portal stuff. But I think um, I say he was the he. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to I'm trying to go through my mind, but he inherited the job, and he I think when he leaves, he will have three years eligibility if I remember correctly from the article but so Drew Pine's going to be another name that's in the transfer portal 
So a couple days ago, Cade McNamara transferred from Michigan. He is now going to go to Iowa. So if you remember, Cade McNamara led Michigan to the 2021 Big Ten title and a berth in the CFP. His career, 2005, I'm sorry, in that year, rather, 2021, he had 2,576 yards, 15 touchdowns, and six interceptions. He got injured in week three and hasn't played since, and he will have two years of eligibility remaining. So that's good for Iowa. They'll get some continuity at quarterback. I think Petrus is gone, and Alex Padilla transferred from Iowa, so they get a, uh, a reliable quarterback, somebody who's proven, and now he just has to get in the system, learn the system, and, of course, um, maybe I will have some offense next year. Brennan Armstrong transfers from Virginia. He's a fifth year senior. So he will have one year of eligibility as a grad transfer this season, 2,210 yards, seven touchdowns, 10 interceptions. So, uh, BA had a really breakout season the season before then with the change in coaching Bronco Mendenhall leaving Tony Elliott coming in, changed the system. So he decided to come back, just didn't really pan out for him as far as, just getting comfortable with the system. So he's going to kind of take another year, work on his game, play play again. You'll be as a good quarterback. And I, you know, I wish him all the best. I mean, great guy. Um, so for his career, he's thrown for almost 10,000 yards, 9,034 yards, 58 touchdowns, and he's rushed for 20 touchdowns for his career. Um, so I saw an interesting tweet. It was funny. Uh, somebody goes, well, you know, <laughs> maybe he ends up at Stanford with Bronco Mendenhall. And I go, hey, is there, you know, an update here? So right now, no update. The only thing I can tell you about the Stanford job is Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman has talked with Stanford. So he confirmed it. And John Harbaugh also confirmed it. So right now we don't know if Greg Roman is the target, but at least they've had conversations uh, Roman and the university about their head coaching position. Um, Phil Jerkovic, so Boston College quarterback, he is entering the transfer portal per report. So haven't seen anything official, but per report, he's leaving. Uh, he will be a grad transfer as well with one year of eligibility remaining. So he was a three-year starter at BC. So he originally ended up at Notre Dame. He transferred, started BC for three years. He hasn't played since October 29th where he injured his knee and ribs for his career, 5,405 yards, 37 touchdowns, and nine rush touchdowns for his career. And the thing about Jerkovich is he's he's a pretty uh, – he's played in two different types of offenses. He's played in spread and pro offenses. So I guess wherever he lands, uh, if that offense, one of those two offenses is in this particular – school where he lands he's going to be comfortable he's going to know the system probably maybe just relearning terminology but here's a guy who potentially could have some nfl uh some nfl scouts looking at him because of the fact that he's played in these different types of systems um tom herman so former texas head coach he is now the new head coach at florida atlantic he will replace willie taggart so for his career, Herman is 54 and 22. He had a short stint at Texas. I believe he won three bowl games while he was at Texas. So again, and, and of course, you know, we all know Texas was for a very short time, the revolving door of coaches. And I'm not even going to get back into that conversation because it was just too weird. So I mentioned to you Coastal Carolina a moment ago. So their head coach, Jamie Chadwell, Liberty. So currently Liberty is an FBS independent. They will be heading to Conference USA next season. 
they are, per report, pursuing Jamie Chadwell for their head coaching opening. Remember, Hugh Freeze left them to go to Auburn. So, Coach Chadwell, he's been at Coastal for five years. He's 31 and 29. Over the last three seasons, he's 31 and 5. So, the thing about Liberty, Liberty has a lot of money. So, there was really no information given about, well, how much money potentially would Chadwell get? Um, but the thinking is he could make a nice amount of money because the Liberty, you know, the administration, they're very good about compensation. They have a lot of resources and it looks like in joining Conference USA, they will probably be the most well-financed and best resources in the conference as far as football is concerned. So Jamie Chadwell right now, what they're saying is he's going to wait until after the uh, the Sunbelt Championship to make his decision if he's going to uh, leave to take the Liberty job. So my thought is he probably will. And here's why I'm hitting here. Why I say that the report talked about that he's been getting, you know, over the last number of years, he's been getting a lot of offers. He's been one of the hot names in coaching, but he has spurned a lot of offers recently. So it looks like potentially Jamie Chadwell could be on his way to Liberty once uh, Coastal Carolina season ends. I mean, I'm certain that Coastal will be heading to a bowl regardless if they, you know, win or lose the, the Sunbelt Championship. All right, so let's hit dubs and L's, and we're going to get out of here for the weekend. So, hey, your favorite segment's back. I mean, my dub today is nothing spectacular, but I kind of had a thought. I wanted to go back and revisit um, something that we talked about on the show and kind of see, hey, how did it turn out? So we'll get to that in a minute. We'll start with the L's today. So I got two L's. So my first L, and I, I don't remember the, I don't know the name, don't remember the name of the tournament, but I'll kind of just give you an idea. So... About a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a women's basketball tournament in Las Vegas, and I've you know I, I don't want to belittle this situation, but I called it the ballroom invitational because I saw uh, pictures on Twitter where I see these basketball players in a ballroom playing a basketball game. So it's a floor, there's baskets. But I'm going, what is going on? I mean, this looks weird. So Indiana head coach Terry Morin, after the end of the tournament. I guess returning back to Bloomington or somewhere between Bloomington and Las Vegas, talked with reporters and basically said that, you know, she didn't like the situation, that what they were told was going to happen in the situation didn't happen. And so I don't know. There's a lot of ways you can think about this. So I stumbled into another space, the committee, shout out to them. We're talking about this situation. And there's a couple things to consider. So first of all, um, Terry Morin, Indiana, I think Auburn was there. So uh, Johnny Harris and her team. And one of the concerns was an Auburn player was hurt and there were no EMS on site. So EMS, it took them about 20 to 30 minutes to show up to attend to this young lady, which I think is totally unacceptable. If you think about it, anytime you go to a sporting event, guess what? You've got EMS there or in the building. So why does it take so long for them to show up? The uh, folks who run the tournament were like, well, really, by rule, we didn't necessarily have to have them here, but they were close to that in the third. And I was like, no, 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 that 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 is completely unacceptable, especially um, with a player going down. And I think the young lady, she was down for quite a few minutes. So it wasn't a serious injury, but it was 
something of serious concern. Um, so the, the the conversation kind of talked about, you know, what can coaches do? Because in some respects in the conversation, they were saying that, well, you know, why didn't Indiana's coach speak up and say something? You know, you can tell your story after the fact, but what did you do in the moment? Um, and I don't know. I kind of feel like this. Th- there's a lot of things that can be said, but I feel like this falls to athletic administration, the ADs. So if a coach says, hey, we got invited to this tournament and yes, you have your athletic director and every team has their associate athletic director for that oversees that sport. These ADs need to do their due diligence because if you go through and ask the right questions or you do your research and you may say, uh, I don't like the way this looks, you report back to the coach and the in the in the in the AD of the of the school and you say, look, this might not be a good idea. I don't like how this looks. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see if there's any more fallout from this because this tournament, I feel like this tournament ran last year from what I read, but I'm thinking, but how are you telling coaches that it's going to be like an AAU setup? It's going to be like an AAU setup that it needs to be in a gymnasium or some small arena as opposed to a ballroom of a hotel in Las Vegas and you know you've got you know folding chairs you know around the court I mean look I played uh, basketball in junior high school and I remember there was one school we played against their gym was super small I mean it was a regulation size court but the gym was so small that li- there were literally folding chairs on the sides but the, the, the people who sat in the front rows were literally on the baseline. It was ridiculous how small this gym was. But that's what it sounded like to me. It just sounded like it was just a terrible setup. And it felt like kind of a bait and switch situation. So I think the ADs need to take the pressure off the coaches and do more due diligence. Because the other part of the conversation is, okay, the coaches, what could they say to their bosses? I mean, you know, maybe Coach Morin has a relationship with her AD. She could say, maybe this isn't a good idea. Uh, Johnny Harris, if you know with Auburn, we talked about how their AD, the AD who hired her is no longer there. So she's trying to reestablish, she's trying to establish a relationship with her new boss. So the ability to have that conversation may or may not be there. So it just makes things awkward. So I put this on administration. They need to do more of a due diligence to take the pressure off of coaches. So coaches don't, I mean, and the coaches have to do their due diligence, but the coaches along with the administration, they do their due diligence. So they're not walking into a situation where they feel pressured to continue to compete or to do something that puts athletes in harm's way. That's just my thought on that. Um, Jerry Jones, I mean, for God's sake, I mean, (laughs) I've seen a bunch of tweets about Jerry Jones and my whole thing is someone encapsulated it so well. They say, so basically you see this picture and today you realize Jerry Jones is racist. I'm I'm thinking exactly like I saw the tweet of, you know, with with the picture of him and I'm going, oh, really? Okay, well, there you have it. I mean, (laughs) the boy (laughs) grows up to be a man who's a billionaire and is a racist shocker ladies and gentlemen but i guess my thing is what do we want from him i mean for one i think him and other nfl team owners kind of need to just let these players do what they do what they do in other words they're all about 
well, I want you to play. I don't want you to express yourself, which I think, you know, come on, that's crazy. You know, these other players who have certain political views will express themselves. But then when they get backlash, they feel like they're the victim. However, if a Kaepernick or someone else expresses themselves, they get the ire of the league. They get blackballed. So, again, this is is yet another way that we know it's not equal. It never has been. I'm, I don't want to say it never will be, but it's not looking very good. Let, let's just go ahead and keep that 100. But it's just, you know, Jerry Jones was in a picture as a 14-year-old uh, watching, you know, we were curious. I mean, I read an article on Anscape that said you can be curious and racist at the same time. So, I mean, you know... What are you going to do? I mean, if today you realize Jerry Jones is racist, you really just haven't been paying attention. Um, the dub today. So we remember the situation with Grambling Volleyball. So uh, they hired Chelsea Lucas. There was a whole controversy about her uh, cutting the whole team. And then once they fired her because they got so much backlash, there was the finger pointing. No, well they're out to get me and the AD told me to cut these players and this, that, and the third. So they fired her. They hired Paige Phillips and this season they went 15 and 12 and they went 12 and four in the SWAC. So congratulations to them on a great season. I kind of wanted to see how they were doing and they, you know, I think they lost in the SWAC, uh, SWAC tournament, but you know, again, this is a situation that, you know, really was going left and i really think once they hired this young lady um you know the former coach um it just unraveled quickly and it got to the point to where why would you allow someone to do these things and then you have to backtrack on hiring them to say oh well on second thought you gotta go the minute this happened the administration should have been on top of this but instead they just sat on their hands until the pressure got to the point that they just couldn't handle it anymore and they had to respond. So the last thing I read, this is a few months ago, was that uh, Chelsea Lucas was going to sue the university and blah, 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 blah. And I had not heard about any of this. I haven't seen or heard any reports. I believe she got hired as a coach at a junior college in Arizona. So maybe there was a parting of the ways and maybe there was just enough of compensation to where it's like, okay, here's your money. We're not talking about this anymore. Go about your business, and we've got a new coach. But again, it ended well, but it just went through such a just a terrible track just to get us here. But again, congratulations to them. Hopefully, you know, bigger and better things are coming for Grambling Volleyball. All right, with that, ladies and gentlemen, I leave you. So, you know, it's a... Nice Friday. It looks dreary, but it actually, I do see some sun outside. Um, a little cold today, but, you know, we, it's winter. Boo. No one likes winter. At least if you do, you're the problem. But I appreciate you listening. Please take the time to go back through the archives, listen to old episodes. Uh, please give me a rating, five-star rating if you can. Um, you know, recommend the show. Uh, you know, share the links. Do all the good stuff. I really appreciate you listening. Uh, remember to continue to take care of yourself, mask up, get vaccinated. It's flu season, COVID season. RSV is out there. Just do everything you can to protect yourself uh, in these times. And also continue to drink your water and mind the business that pays you. Peace. 
Thank you for listening to the latest episode of the Sports Wagon Podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and tell a friend about the show. You can also send me a voicemail or send me a message on Twitter or Instagram at It's Uncle Dub. That's I-T-S-U-N-C-L-E underscore D-U-B. Also, please consider supporting the podcast at buymeacoffee.com backslash sports wagon pod. I really appreciate your support. Thank you.